Um, I've got one handout up here on stage. There are, we, we started on things last time about not provoking your children to anger. And uh, we're going to finish that list today. There are 12 things on that list. Don't worry about having to write them down, okay, because i got a list of them right here, and you're welcome to pick those up after class. Sometimes in parenting, the days can be long. True? And sometimes they can be very long, but the years fly by. Any particular day can be, how did, how did God put 82 hours into this day? That's how it feels sometimes. But personal testimony, the years rip. Sometimes, I don't have it today, and you should be thankful that I don't. I put up a picture of Camilla and me and our two boys when they were about six and eight. And Camilla looks exactly the same. That's as far as I'll go with that. Um, and then I put a picture of all 11 of our grandchildren, all two of our kids, their spouses, and Camilla and me. And it, that happened in about two days. It went that fast. So sometimes the days can be long, the years just rip. But one of the things that will help us on those long days is to remember how quickly they will be gone. It'll change your perspective on how you view those challenging, difficult, long days that I guess you hit the sack at night and you say, I thought this day would never end. When that baby was conceived in its mother's womb, you were committed for the long haul. You're committed to press through the tough days. You didn't know what those tough days were going to be like at that point, but you were committed to press through and, and persevere. And you were determined to give this child your best. There are days when you're sure you did not give your best. But I want to remind you that for those days in every parenting day, there is strength and steadfastness. So you read what's in red on cue, okay? This is Colossians 1, 9 to 12, abbreviated a little bit. For this reason also, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Now, how many of you have read that prayer before? If you've read the book of Colossians, you've read that prayer before. How many of you have applied it specifically to parenting? No, it's up here in some kind of, some kind of spiritual, ethereal atmosphere where, yeah, boy, that's true. God gives us what we need. But He gives us, if this doesn't apply to parenting, it doesn't apply to anything. Right? So this is, this is our resource as parents. And the throne of grace is open. And Jesus is our mediator and, and our intercessor. And what do we have? We have the availability of being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might 
for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience and parenting. So I hope, I hope you'll be encouraged with that. Last time we talked about the nature of our children as sinners and how they desperately need both correction and conversion. And we spent a little bit of time talking about the conversion of our children. Then we spent the rest of our time looking at Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we began to work out some of the ways in which we can provoke our children to anger. We tried to distinguish between provoking them to anger and they're responding just out of their own native sinfulness because we've crossed their will. There's a difference between those things. Just because Johnny throws a fit doesn't mean you've provoked him to anger. Johnny may throw a fit because he just didn't want to do what you wisely, carefully, thoughtfully asked him to do. So we got to, we got to understand there's a difference between those things. Then we begin to list some ways in which we could be exasperating our children. That's the word used in the parallel passage in Colossians 3. Don't exasperate them. The first one was don't expect more than they can deliver. We worked that out in some ways, but we're just going to try to buzz through this list here. Number two, be careful how you correct, admonish, or rebuke your children. And you do have to correct, admonish, and rebuke your children. Just be careful how you do that. We go again to the book of Proverbs, death and life are in the power of the tongue. I tell the kids at school in chapel sometimes that because the Proverbs likens the tongue to a spear and a sword. And if our tongues were literal spears and swords, the way some of you students, I'm talking to the kids in chapel, the way you guys talk to each other, there'd be blood all up and down the halls and classrooms of Harris Christian School. Well, the, I, hello? you'd be having to get your carpet cleaned every week the way we sometimes talk to our children. Death is in the power of the tongue. So is life. So we need to be careful how we admonish and correct and rebuke our children. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Apply that to the next time Johnny or Susie throws a fit and is madder than a wet hen. What's going what's gonna, to what's gonna settle that down? A response in kind or a gentle answer? How we do it the words we choose and the volume and tone of our voices can make all the difference in the world with regard to our provoking our children to anger and exasperating them. We ought never to call our children derogatory names. You dummy, you clumsy ox, you miserable slob, you idiot. Parents talk like that to their kids. Harsh words only serve to stir up anger in them. Can't you do anything right? I've, I've told you a hundred times how to do that. Can't you get that through your thick skull? Is that going to help the situation? No. You'll never amount to anything. You make me sick. You better not mess up one more time. What if God said that to me? You better not mess up one more time. I'd be done. My goose would be cooked. Cooked. 
We've sometimes taught our children that we don't mean business until we resort to harsh language of a certain volume. About 60 decibels is normal conversation. But somehow, we have sometimes managed to teach our children that disobedience is okay until about 100 decibels. We do. We do. Johnny, it's time to come in for supper. Please put your toys away and come on in. And nothing happens. And we up it just a bit. Johnny, it's time to come in for supper. Put your toys away. Let's go. And nothing happens. What are we teaching our children if nothing happens when we're 60 decibels? We're teaching them that disobedience is okay until we hit. Johnny, get yourself in here. And then what happens? <laughs> Johnny moves. Now, I don't know if it's probably a combination of him training us and us training him the wrong things. Right? So, sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. We may need to take five before we correct our children to calm down and get some control and to ponder how to answer. Do you ever, do you ever try to taste your words before you spit them out? How do they taste? Sweet or bitter? <laughs> Stop and think. That the, next time, the next time you're about to let Johnny or Susie have it for a legitimate transgression, okay? When you take that big breath and you're about to let it out, say, wait, 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 wait. The heart... Um, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth. Let me, let me think about what I'm going to say here. Let me, let me ponder this for a minute. Is this going to accomplish the end that I want with my children? And then you open your mouth. And it's much more likely to be firmly sweet and not provoking if we take a moment to think about what we're saying before it comes out. Number three, we must practice what we preach and avoid double standards. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, <clears throat> These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. They shall be on your heart. That comes first. <clears throat> and then you shall teach them diligently to your sons. That's, that, that, I, don't, I don't need to expand on that. Practice what we preach. Number four, make sure your children know what you expect of them, what the rules are, and that both mom and dad consistently and faithfully enforce them. Unity and clarity are absolutely critical if we expect our children to not be frustrated and exasperated.
How many of you guys work for somebody and you've got a manager, you've got different levels of management and you're down here and you've got a manager here and a supervisor here and a boss here and they're not all on the same page. What does that do to you? It'll drive you nuts. So here's Johnny and Susie and here's mom and here's dad and mom's over here and dad's over here. And it's not clear. We'll, we'll exasperate our children very quickly. <clears throat> so make sure they know what you expect and that both mom and dad are on the same page. Work at being positive with your kids. We say plenty of no's. No, 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 no. And there are seasons when that's what we need to say, especially when they're little bitty. And it's right that we should. But if that's all they ever hear from us, no happy words, no affirmations of love, no expressions of delight, few moments of pleasure, then we drastically increase the likelihood of their exasperation. So plan happy times with your kids where there's not a whole lot you're going to have to say no to. You can orchestrate those situations. You can set them up that way so that they, ha they just have a good time and there's very little that you would have to say no to. And even after you do that, Johnny's going to come up with something you've got to say no to. Okay, I get that. <laughs> but work at planning happy times with your kids and do be sure that your no's are necessary and not just a convenience for you. You can identify with this. Mama, 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 mama. May I please? They even use correct grammar. May I? And they stuck a please in there. May I please go out and play in the snow? And where does your mind go, Mom? Boots, gloves, hats, scarves, coats, water all over the floor when they come back in after five minutes? No, you may not go out and play in the snow. You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> Be sure your nose are necessary. Okay. If it's five minutes until you leave for a family event or for church or for whatever, of course, no would be a problem. No, you may not go out and play in the snow. We're leaving in five minutes, okay? But you get the point. Make sure they know that you love them. Unconditionally. This is critical for all of our children. I'm going to say it's especially critical for fathers and daughters. If your daughter doesn't get love and affection and approval and affirmation from you, they'll get it from somewhere and you won't be happy about where they get it from. Because there, there are millions of people out there ready to give affirmation to your daughter. And if they haven't had a good serving of that from you, they'll lap it up like a thirsty dog. So dad's... Make sure they know you love them especially. Allow your children to fail without branding them as failures. Will you, are your kids going to fail? Yes. Are they going to fail over and over again? Are they going to get it right the first time every time? 
they're going to fail. But how do they feel when you talk to them about their failure? Do they feel like a failure? I, I, th- yes, you know, everything's, everything's a balancing act, right? Depending on the nature of the failure, they, they may need to feel the sting of the fact that they've disobeyed and they've broken this or that rule. But do they come out of even those disciplined situations feeling like they can never please you? Feeling like a failure. We used to say here at school when we'd had a when we've had a discipline situation. And uh, we do, we tell this to prospective parents all the time because they want to know what we do for discipline. And we tell them the whole nine yards and and we, we even describe the process of what we go through when we have to discipline a child. And we say, we're never done until we walk out of that room, friends. If that takes two hours, we will take two hours until we walk out of that room, friends. We don't walk out with chips on our shoulders. We don't walk out feeling like failures. Did they fail? Yeah, that's why they're in that room to start with. <laughs> But how do they feel when we're all done? Do they understand that we absolutely love them? And that what just took place was because we love them. Allow your children to fail without branding them as failures. Home must be the safe place, the secure place where our children can fall and be picked up instead of kicked. Seven, be accessible and approachable with your children. Make it easy for your children to get to you and to get your ear. Remember how accessible Jesus was to sinners? Was there ever a sinner who tried to get to Jesus and couldn't? None that I know about. (laughs) Whether they came in crowds or whether they came as children and the disciples tried to shoo them away. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Let the children come. Let them come. If they hear too many not nows or laters, can't you see daddy's busy? Can't you see mama's up to her eyeballs and kitchen work? They'll be delighted when some predator always has time to listen to them on the internet. Granted, especially when they're small, so many things they're just dying to tell you are trivial. Right? Yeah, they are. But if they can't get to us with trivial things, why will they ever try to get to us with something really important? Daddy, 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 look, the leaves are all off the tree. Daddy knows very good well because he's got to rake them. Yeah, I know, it happens every year, blah, blah, blah. Instead of, you're right, look at that. Isn't that amazing? 
Isn't it amazing how they're all gone now, but they'll be back in the spring? What a, what a remarkable thing that is that God made the trees to cycle through life and death and life and death and life and death. Thanks, Johnny. That's, that's really a good observation. We've seen the trees, the leaves fall off the trees more times than we can count. But he hasn't. And his eyes are wide with wonder. So be accessible and approachable to your kids. Please don't compare your children to other children, not even their own brothers or sisters. And they're, they're, how many of you have two children or more? Are those two the same? <laughs> Anybody have two that are very much alike? I mean, it can happen. But our kids are different. Why can't you be like so-and-so? You know what the answer is? Because God didn't make you like so-and-so. God made you like you. Thank you for being you. Don't compare, don't compare your kids to other kids. Don't be partial to one child over another. You've got one that's just like you, and you've got one that couldn't be more different. Don't be partial. And sometimes that's harder than we think. Isaac loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. Jacob loved Joseph. Did that produce anything good? In that family line? No. Don't be partial. Number 10, pick your battles carefully. Not every beach is worth dying on. If we, have, if we elevate every issue to the level of moral ground, we'll exasperate our children very quickly. We may not like the new jeans that look like they're ready for the rag bag. You actually spent money on those? Seriously? Okay, I got a thing about ratty jeans, all right? We may not like pierced ears. We may not like highlighted hair. We may not prefer posters on the walls of their room. They may like a genre of music that we don't care for. But if we're ready to spill blood on every one of those kinds of beaches, we're going to exasperate our children very quickly. And that doesn't mean that they make all the rules and call the shots. Okay? But we've got to put some serious thought and discussion with our spouse into what beaches we're going to die on and what beaches we're not going to die on. Okay? So pick your battles carefully. Uh, number 11, keep your word. These are obvious. You guys could come up with all of these. Keep your word. Keep your promises to your children. Let your yes be yes. Unless you are unmistakably providentially hindered, <coughs> keep your word to your children. If you said you'd be there, be there. <coughs> Unless you're providentially hindered. But be careful what you chalk up to providence. Okay? If you said you'd go with them, then go. Why? 
Why should they trust you when you give them the gospel if they can't trust you to show up at their party or ball game or play when you said you would? Keep your word. Dear children. And last, of the less I've got, there could be many more. When you're wrong, admit it and ask for forgiveness. There are too many things more exasperating to a child than a proud parent who is never wrong. Have you ever done that? Had to go to your children and ask their forgiveness? Yeah. What they're seeing when we confess our sins and ask their forgiveness is the gospel at work in mom and dad. And that goes a long way toward bringing the gospel to them. So fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate your children so that they'll not lose heart. Okay, what they must do. This is the other half of Ephesians chapter 4. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. <clears throat> there it is, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word bring them up means to nourish, provide for, or bring to maturity. It is what Christ does for the church in Ephesians 5.29. It's what Jesus does for the church. It's what we must do for our children. We must bring them up. See to it that they have all they need to come to maturity. We are not spectators to the process of our children growing up. We're not just standing by watching the process. We take them by the hand and lead them through the whole complex of life's events and decisions and experiences to be well-adjusted, responsible, mature adults who understand what life is about, why they're here and where they're going, what the point of it all is. That is not the default setting in us or our kids. It doesn't just happen. That we actually bring them up. What happens if we don't purposely set ourselves to bring them up is that we just watch them grow up. And that typically ends in disaster. We must do it. It doesn't say watch them grow up. It says bring them up. Make it happen. This is our clear and present duty. And if we do not take this call from God, our children will be in a very clear and present danger. Anybody remember that movie? Clear and present danger. We have a wonderful illustration of this in what Joseph and Mary did with Jesus. I don't know if you ever thought about this. And he came to Nazareth, Jesus, where, read that underlined section. Where, what? Where he had been brought up. That's the same root word as in Ephesians chapter 5. Sorry, Ephesians chapter 6. Bring them up. Jesus was brought up. It doesn't say where Jesus grew up. For you grammarians, the verb is passive. It means the subject Jesus was acted upon. He didn't do the growing up. He was brought up. Who brought him up? Class? Mary and Joseph. His earthly parents. That ought to shock us and not shock us all at the same time. 
it ought to shock us that the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who's before all things and by whom all things hold together as part of His humiliation, subjected Himself to an earthly pair of created, finite, limited, sinful human beings. Does that make you wonder? Jesus. Involved in creation. Speaking everything into existence by the word of his power was brought up by Joseph and Mary. And it ought not to shock us if we take that humiliation seriously and understand that his humanity, sinless though it was, was as real as yours and mine. He didn't come out of Mary's womb speaking fluent Aramaic. He came out gurgling. He didn't come out walking or able to eat solid food or putty trained. He was a helpless baby who had to learn everything from scratch and whatever they used for diapers back then. Yeah, he, he went down that road. And Joseph and Mary had to clean up his mess. Did I just say that? He was a helpless baby who had to learn everything from scratch. And he didn't have angels for tutors. He had Joseph and Mary. They saw, what did they do? He went down with them and came to, and came to Nazareth and he continued in subjection to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature in the favor with God and men. Make the connections here in this verse, okay? He went down with them. He continued in subjection to them. And he kept increasing in wisdom and stature in the favor with God and men. Joseph and Mary saw to his intellectual development. He increased in wisdom. They saw to his education. They modeled for him a biblical worldview. They taught him. They set before him the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, I can't prove this by chapter and verse, but I bet you anything, they read the book of Proverbs to him. How did he get so smart? The Bible says he increased in wisdom. We've got to take his humanity seriously. They saw to his intellectual development. They saw to his physical development and emotional development. He increased in stature. They guided him through. They guided him through the many changes that take place in a growing boy's body. They did not just stand back and watch it happen. They brought him up physically. They guided him through all the stuff that happens to a boy's body when he's growing up. They saw to the cultivation of his spiritual life. He increased in favor with God. What did Jesus pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? What did he pray? Say it out loud. But not my will, but yours be done. Where did he see that? 
What were the words that came out of Mary's mouth when the angel announced to her that she was going to be pregnant with the Son of God? What did she say? How, how, how can this be? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then what did Mary say? Be it done to me according to your word. Jesus saw what it was to bow to the will of God long before he uttered those words in the Garden of Gethsemane. He saw it in his mother. They saw to the cultivation of his spiritual life. And they saw to the development of his social life. He increased in favor with men. They saw to it that Jesus learned the necessary social graces of his day so that in his public ministry, think about it, he was able to move with ease. He was able to move about with ease among every rank and sort of men. He learned what it was to be a gentleman. They taught him manners. When people took offense at him, it was not because... He was wiping his mouth and it's because of what he said. It's because of the truth. They did not take offense at him because he was rude and unmannerly, but because he spoke the truth. So they they brought him up. And they saw to his intellectual, physical, emotional, spiritual, and social life. And this is what we must be doing with our children, bringing them up, not watching them grow, not letting them raise themselves, but bringing them, taking them by the hand and leading them through the maze of infancy and toddler and adolescence into the borders of adulthood. Now, how are we to bring them up? <clears throat> Excuse me. How are we to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? We're going to take a more detailed look at discipline in a little bit. Probably not much today. But let me say something about this word instruction. This word instruction has to do with what we say to our children. It comes from two words that mean literally to put in mind. It has to do with instruction, warning, and admonition. And both of these phrases, the discipline and instruction, are qualified. It must be the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Not the discipline and instruction of the latest pop psychologist or the hottest guru in child development. We teach and train our children under God's authority. And we tell them what God says. You don't obey just because mom or dad said so. You obey because God said so. And this is why we need to be bringing Scripture into all of our instruction and discipline. Son, for example. And I don't mean this in some kind of ironclad way, Okay. But for example, uh, son, you, you must never talk to your sister that way because God says that your words must not be like arrows and swords. They should be like words that build up and not tear down. See, that's a biblical principle undergirding what you just said to how your son talks to his sister. <clears throat> Do you know why you were quarreling with your brother? Because you only wanted your own way. And Proverbs says pride only breeds quarrels. If we keep doing that, they're going to get the idea pretty soon that this thing governs all of life. 
It's to be the instruction of the Lord. I'm really grateful, son, for the way you shared with your friends today. That's the kind of behavior God blesses. Proverbs says a generous man will prosper and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Thankful I saw that to you in you today, son. You showed a lot of restraint today when that other player got right in your face. I'm grateful. You were being exactly like the man in Proverbs 16. He was slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules the spirit than he who captures a city. And what have you done? You just undergirded the behavior you expect out of him with the word of God. It's always to be the discipline instruction of the Lord. That means we better know what the Lord says. If you're a young parent, <clears throat> or if you're an old parent, <laughs> or a grandparent, you ought to be soaking your heart and mind in the book of Proverbs. All of us need to be saturating our minds with the Bible so that it's almost like breathing to root our discipline and training in the Scriptures. Obviously, obviously, there'll be situations that need to be dealt with very quickly and we don't have time to look up a verse from the Bible. Okay? There'll be many of those occasions. That doesn't mean we should let it go because we can't quote, can't quote Scripture right on the spot. But those ought to be the exceptions rather than the rule. So, some resources... There's an app from Shepherding Press. That's um, Shepherd, Shepherd Press does um, a lot of uh, David Tripp's parenting stuff. And I think the app costs maybe $1.99. It's called Wise Words. You can look it up in the app store. And it has categories <coughs> of behavior. And you click on a category. And then you get lots of um, ways to flesh that out. You get questions and and comments and other scriptures that relate to that. So you can, you can have signposts in Proverbs almost on your phone, right at hand, to be used quickly. Um, I will take this book to my deathbed as one of the best books for parenting, signposts and Proverbs. It is no longer in print. I've got 12 copies in the process of being duplicated, which we've done with permission. And there'll be five bucks a piece which will only cover the cost of duplication down here in the school office. I hope to have those for you next week if you want to buy one. And then there's another book that Joe LaCour brought my attention to. This is kind of like signposts from Proverbs on steroids. Okay, it's called For Instruction in Righteousness. It's about 36 bucks. You can find it on a website called Doorposts. Uh, there's a, it's kind of a homeschooling family from Oregon that has put together a lot of stuff. And this will, this will take, this does categories of behavior and roots it in Proverbs and then expands it to many other scriptures and lots and lots of questions. So this is kind of like an expanded version of signpost from Proverbs. And you can find that for instruction righteousness, you can find that on the internet. Um, So I hope you take advantage of those because our instruction must be the instruction of the Lord. Okay, all right, let me see. <clears throat> uh, we need to start talking about discipline, but I don't want to launch into that and just kind of leave it hanging. So we've got about a couple of minutes. Anybody have a comment or a question about what we've covered so far? Oh, good, you're the best class I've ever had. <laughs>
Danny. Um, <clears throat> that's a good question. Did everybody hear that? If we're using the Bible in our discipline, how do we do it in such a way that our kids don't start to hate the Bible? Is that the point of your question? <clears throat> I, think, I, think, I think the answer to that question, and we'll talk about this later when we talk about some particular applications of discipline. Um, how do we keep our children from becoming exasperated with that? That's the same question. And I think it, it will make all the difference in the world if our application of Scripture to discipline situations comes in the big overall broader context of our relationship with our children, the atmosphere of our home, the unity of mom and dad. We're on the same page. They've got regular assurances of our love and commitment to them. And that whole that whole nine yards, I'm, I'm going to jump way ahead to a slide here because we talk about that, that if our discipline doesn't take place in the context of all the things we've talked about up to this point in our class, courage, fear of the Lord, wisdom, integrity, intercession, attractive teaching, observant teaching, urgent heart teaching, made in God's image, sinners giving the gospel, etc., etc., then the likelihood of their reacting negatively to our discipline even when we're using this book, is great. But if our use of this book comes in this overall context that we've tried to establish of relationship between parents and kids, it's, it's not a guarantee that they will never resent the Bible because they are sinners by nature. But we reduce the likelihood that they will if we make sure that our discipline and our use of Scripture comes in that overall context. Um, you know, it's like you're a, you're, a, you're a personal trainer and, and, and when, you, when you begin to help somebody who's struggling with weight and diet and health and the whole nine yards, you can't just give them one piece. Danny, I did what you told me to do. And your first question is, but did you do this, 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 and this? No. Then what did you expect? So it, it's, it's the, we got we to gotta keep it in the whole context of biblical parenting. Okay? Managed to stretch that answer out long enough so that we don't have time for any more questions. <laughs> All right, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've not left us to ourselves in the rearing of our children. Thank you that we have the word of God. Thank you that the spirit of God has access to the hearts of our kids. And we pray that you would help us to maintain this, this whole process of biblical discipline in the best of all ways, so that our children will not grow up to be bitter against you. So they'll not begin to hate your word. But so that our children will begin to love you and trust you. Granted, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One more thing before you go. 
I should have said this in answer to your question. <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm not a fan of using the Bible as a disciplinary tactic. Son, you go to your room and I want you to write, children obey, obey your parents 500 times. That will make them think ill of the Bible. So don't, don't use the Bible. Use it in your discipline, but don't use it as an instrument of discipline. Write this verse... 50 times. Okay? All right. Thank you.